Welcome to the Writer's Right Podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak their mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, and as always, we'll be giving attention to the last thing my guest has written and the writing process. Today's guest has bylines with Dime, Raptors.com, The Athletic, Rolling Stone, and more, is the co-host of the Dishes and Dimes podcast and the, uh, basketball, question mark, podcast, <laughs> writes the weekly basketball feelings newsletter, and is one of the premier writers in not only the Raptors sphere, but the overall basketball paradigm. It's Katie Heindel. Katie, how are you doing? I'm good. That, that was a really, that was a very flattering intro. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, you're someone I've wanted to have on this podcast for a long time, and I have this list. I've mentioned this in way back in podcasts before that I have this list, a growing list of writers, mostly from Twitter, people that I come across and read that I want to have on here, um, and, and your name has been on there for a long time, so I'm glad we're finally getting to do this. Um, I guess I just want to start off with, okay, this is a question I've had for you for a long time, and I've never been able to ask you about this, but <laughs> okay. your, your profile on Twitter mentions that you invented shorts. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's that about? Uh, it was a joke that started a long time ago, but uh-huh. it's primarily based in, um, probably a, a real strong confidence because, okay, basically <laughs> like I thrive, I thrive in weather where I can wear shorts. I feel like shorts are, have always been like a power, uh-huh. <laughs> like power dressing for me. I don't know. I just feel very like free in the summer. I feel very like good. Um, when like, I don't know, parts of your body that have been just like trapped under, under like winter layers, you know, Mm -hmm. can finally be exposed. Um, and I just, yeah, I've just always felt extremely powerful wearing shorts. Uh, And for a long time, I guess as long as that joke's been there, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like years uh i feel like you know i uh i i invented them so that's what that is basically it's it's been legitimately useful for me because i'm one of those people that like i look outside depending on the time of year always in the spring and there's like sometimes you know that that weird period where people start wearing shorts and some people aren't wearing shorts and everyone has an opinion <laughs> on whether or not it's okay to wear shorts and i never know because my natural personality is to be indecisive i never know uh, if it's okay for me to wear shorts. So I've started waiting and pretty much until you tweet out and say, you know, it's okay to wear shorts now. And I'm like, great. Okay. I can wear these and not feel like <laughs> I'm doing the incorrect thing. So, uh, I want to thank you for that. No, thank you. Thank you for following, <laughs> following those like important, uh, instructions. I, yeah, for a long time, I, I guess I didn't really like, I, I would call them season jumpers. I mean, I, I Ooh. get it. I think like, as I've gotten a little older and maybe, I've softened a little around like the rigidity that I used to like, you know, place on season jumpers and people who would kind of put shorts on the first sign of like not even warm weather, like a sunny day in March or something, you know? Yeah. But for me, it's like when I put shorts on for the first time in this, in the season, in short season, I'm not, they're not coming off. Like I'm not, I don't switch back to pants. So I, it's like, it's gotta be the correct time or it's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the, hence my, <laughs> hence my indecisiveness with uh, many of these things. So the, uh, I, I brought you on today to talk about, um, one of your, I think this is, I think this is your most recent basketball piece still, right? The, uh, your piece for on dime, um, uh, it's called your nun, the Toronto Raptors. Um, mm-hmm. 
a fantastic piece. If you haven't read it, you should go read it. Uh, all of Katie's stuff is incredible. And this one was fascinating for, well, for a couple of reasons. I mean, I was initially drawn to it. I have no idea if you know this or not, but there's like a really famous Batman comic called Year One. Oh, I do know that. Yeah, which I, I have read. I'm not a huge comics person, but I have read that one. And so that title caught my eye for that reason as well. And then, you know, I started reading it and it was fantastic. So yeah, if you haven't read it, it's on Dime. You can go read it there. So I want to dive into this uh, and, and starting with the actual content of the piece here. So it's really a, a sort of a look back piece and yet at the same time kind of a, still a look into the present and maybe even the future. This year, though, uh, this season, it's now sort of a year that never truly happened, which is interesting. And you, and you start off the piece this way because... And and it's true, like, it, 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 does, it didn't really happen. Like, even if things finish, they don't really. Like, at least not in the traditional sense, the manner to which we become accustomed. Um, even if basketball starts up again, it will be alternate reality basketball, like the normal sport we know being played in an abnormal world. So looking at things that way, like, how would you approach the potential return of hoops? Oh, um... Yeah, I guess, like, I mean, just to, to give a little bit of background first, yeah, like, for the, sure. the column, um, I wanted to start it, like, year none, because, and, like, use that, I actually, I, I came up with that term on my friend Freddie's podcast, uh, he has a podcast called Confederacy of Dunks, and mm-hmm. we were trying to come up with um, what <laughs> what the Raptors, if they made, like, a Last Dance documentary mm-hmm. on the Raptors, he said, next season, but I miss... <laughs> I like ran, I started to run away with the question as I sometimes do before we finished. And I thought it was like about this season. Um, so I f- like, that's where that came from. Cause hmm. I kind of thought, you know, like you're, you're none like it, it, it's become, we're all in this period of stasis. Yeah. Uh, it was a really like dramatic, um, like entertaining kind of like heartbreaking triumphant season already for the Raptors. Uh, and then for that to sort of like be either, whether like put on hold diminished in some capacities because of being put on hold. And then whatever happens now, you know, you, you kind of, the loss of that is just something I was like going over and over and over in my head and, and kind of like what a tragedy it was like, not just as a Raptors fan, but I think just as yeah. like a storyline for the league at large. And so that led me to think more about, other storylines like that, you know, like the first one and the year none was on Zion. The next one is going to be about LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Raptors were like the team first and foremost, that for me, like, first of all, started the idea for the column and like the name of it. But I still think is like one of the strongest storylines that unfortunately has been, I don't want to say just like way late, I guess. Cause I don't want to say stopped. I don't want to say like, you know, interrupted because my hope is it continues but in terms of the nba restarting again i mean it's weird it's there was never really a good time for it to come back when you look at first just like the the pandemic Mm -hmm. and the way that that you know increased in severity and especially in the states where they're looking at continuing this and where most players by and large live obviously and their families live just the the handling of that has been like just across the board, like, you know, from irresponsible to just like very dangerous, depending on what state you're living in and, you know, what the level of government is doing there. So it just seemed like 
even to get a handle on, okay, if they want to start it again, like when and where and like what would be the best time. And then now you have all these other, like there's so much more happening in the, in the world, like, you know, tragic things happening in the world all mm-hmm. the time. I think that are now you're seen emphasized in a different way because of the pandemic that it feels irresponsible and also just kind of weird in general to think like, oh, this is a, a good time for basketball to come back. It just, it doesn't seem as important as it did when the season stopped, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I think I understand like the league's interest in restarting it. I understand their influence by, you know, their owners um, and the people that finance them and where money comes from. And I get it. I, and I get, I also get it on, on a need for like morale for some mm. people and distraction. Like, I don't think you can discount that. And I think there's something very true and sincere there, but I don't know. Like the the more plans we hear, mm-hmm. none of them seem they're all just kind of half baked, right? And like that, yeah. they, because I don't think the league has really gotten to the full point of like a fully formed idea of what can work. Because every time they get almost there, it gets sidetracked, you know. And like that's sort of the nature. I mean, that's the nature of like life. I think when you're in a pandemic, is because like you can't be like, okay, you know, wash your hands of this. We're over it. It's like things like arc and like you know die out for a bit and then come back and and like we we all just respond to that and the league should respond to that in the same way but you know my biggest fear would just be them trying to kind of shoehorn a start in um mm-hmm. as like immediately as they can i don't feel like they're doing that but I, I don't know i mean they're gonna go ahead with it no matter what so it also feels kind of weird to have these conversations because we know like I think as fans and as people who cover the league that they're going to do it. Yeah. It's just a question of when. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely feels that way. It really feels like they're going to do it. Um, I mean, I've been someone and there's lots of people um, saying the same thing, but that I don't, I don't think the NBA should come back right now. I don't think it's a good time. And it was like, you know, we had even just a couple of days ago or whatever, um, that they were talking about how this week they were supposed to have, some idea for the return to play format and you know Woj tweeted like <laughs> days before the meeting that is today with the NBA board of governors that you know they, that they may not have a plan coming out of it it actually may take another week um but that's it's not surprising because there's no real good answers here and whatever form of basketball we get uh, it will be coming back at not an ideal time and in a weird way like just there's it's no matter what they do to make it as normal as possible. I've heard a lot of people want, are in the camp of trying to make this as normalized as possible um, so that it kind of feels like a regular playoffs. I'm just not sure that's possible. I don't think it is going to feel normal. I think it is going to feel like alternate reality basketball, which is kind of weird, sort of this like like di- distant cap to a season that feels so long ago now that really isn't. Yeah, it's, it's, a, really, it's a really weird thing. So like, even, you know, looking at that, that return, that potential return, it's like, I mean, it's it's one of those things, right? Like, I'm going to watch as, as a fan, but there will be this lingering feeling of something's not right here the entire time, and I feel like there's going to be a level of anxiety throughout the playoffs if they start back up. I think so. I think it's it's sort of unavoidable because, like, either if you look at it on, like, whatever tier you'd watch it as, like, either as a fan or someone who covers it um, or just, like, a you know, a person who's kind of looking at the bigger picture that basketball fits into you. I don't know. It, it does. Yeah. To your point, it just like, it does feel pretty unnatural 
and kind of strange. I mean, if anything, I don't know how they would do this, but if anything, I think there's something to be said for like trying to not lean into like the normalization of it, I think. But I do think the NBA has been pretty good and like just in terms of their PSA and like PSAs rather and their sort of like public initiatives, um, Mm-hmm. whether that's like players player q a's with like doctors or just like the kind of you know it was just mental health awareness month for them like the month of may so just like the initiatives they've rolled out around that like they're trying to like be as normal i guess as a company can be but yeah. then like i don't know the weirdest thing too is like they're also like they're a corporation like they're a giant yep like for-profit corporation and like when it's a corporation like that that's like kind of trying to normalize like safety protocols and like public health awareness you know and like like just kind of calls for like science-led information and then that's not coming from you know in their case the the government of the united states that's also weird like the whole thing is is weird kind of no matter how you look at it it's been like a very strange time for like exposing um Things that were always there, but now we're yeah. just kind of seen in a more like glaring light, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. So so you start off this the piece about the Raptors sort of um, talking about dynasties, which I thought was interesting because, and this, one of the interesting things about this piece as well was that like I, it made me look at dynasties in a different way, in different sort of light um, than the term is traditionally used. So you sort of start talking about like the magic that makes up dynasties, the idea that winning multiple titles often has teams shear away their personality until everything is sort of performance-based, which uh, quickly, I, like the immediate example I thought of that, the most recent example is the Warriors. Like, that, it really feels like that's a real thing to me there. Like, those, those, you know, the first season where they got Kevin Durant, I'm talking, you know, yeah, post-KD, you know, after the Warriors got KD. Mm-hmm. The, that first season, there was so much joy and excitement because the, the, their whole identity was sort of built around the idea of, like, getting KD his first ring, you know, beating LeBron James, that kind of thing. And then, you know, fast forward a couple seasons later, and they were so good that season, like it affected their play for sure. And fast forward a couple seasons, and they just, they seemed miserable the whole time, even though they're still one of the best teams in the league. And it it really did seem like they sort of sheared away that initial personality. And I, I'm just curious, like, your thoughts on, like, is that a necessary thing to win? Is it a sad thing? Is it, is it both? Like, what do you think about that? I mean, I'm like in my heart, I hope it's not necessary, but I think what we've seen from teams that win multiple championships, um, is that there inevitably has to be a kind of streamlining and whether that's through acquisition of talent, um, kind of like stacking talent the way that the warriors did, Mm -hmm. whether that's just like building up, you know, if you want to look at the Jordan era bulls, it's like building up talent around one player who's kind of like the singular focus. All those things are going to like dictate and drive the kind of trickle down culture, if you will, I think of, of a team. Um, and I think then the teams begin to play to their strong suits, which is usually if it's, especially if it's like revolving around one player, um, you kind of lose the nuance, right? Like you, you lose like different characterizations, you, you lose different, just like weird experimental ways of doing things, because why would you try new things? If you kind of, one, if you're like the warriors and you're sort of an unstoppable force because that team was built to be a juggernaut, right? Like that team was built to have very little weaknesses, which I think like, 
I think the Raptors did a good job of exposing, but I also think the Warriors were um, kind of worn down yeah. on themselves at that point as well. Um, not, I'm not saying like the title was any less worthwhile because again, I think the, the Raptors were kind of the perfectly constructed team, almost like the antithesis of what the Warriors were mm-hmm. just in terms of like being so built on chemistry and like experimentation and like leaning into what was weird and like worked for them, you know, and yeah. like trying one new thing after another. I mean, I th- think for some teams, I mean, even for the Raptors, you know, that can get exhausting like you can't always pull like a new trick out and i think yeah what we've seen from nurse in toronto is like he has like a, a real intuitive reliance i think on his players to occasionally pull things kind of out of their hats at the last minute that he has not you know like drawn up for them and he said that like he's been pretty honest about it but you know at some point that's not going to work so i think when you're looking at you know these more traditional dynasty teams who win multiple titles they sort of figure out what their formula is and then they only add to the formula in that way. And I think like, it's just repetition. Like when you do anything, like when you do anything, even to perfection, if you do it again and again and again, and it still stays perfect, you sort of like lost, you lose a little of this bark every time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's weird because we never really talk about monotony in in sports like that this is a thing mm-hmm. that you know because it is like it's any job it's like any job i guess but you know they're doing the same thing night in and night out and yeah different games have different meaning and different games play out differently and all that stuff but they are doing the same thing all the time and people will always talk about uh in the league about how structured athletes are and you know how creatures of habit they are but at the same time like that that kind of stuff breeds monotony and 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 we know, like, firsthand, for sure, for some guys, it's it's harder than for other guys, for sure. Um, but this is a thing that, like, no one ever really talks about when it comes to sports. But it's a big thing, just like it is in any other industry where you're doing the same thing over and over. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. But, so, like, the Raptors as, as, as a chemistry dynasty, which is, mm-hmm. I think, an interesting term, rather than sort of like those traditional dynasties like you're talking about, like... That was so. That was one of the things I think I thought about the most reading this. Like, paused and was like, okay, so what exactly is this? And like, so I, I, I guess I came upon the sort of idea that they so they never sacrificed their chemistry exactly like other teams have, who have won titles and uh, continue to win titles and stuff like that, um, because those teams did it as if it was the only way to continue winning. And the Raps sort of found a way to continue to win while keeping chemistry. In fact, like, even utilizing it as an advantage, um, you mentioned it, like, they, it's, like, added heft, added weight. Like, they make it a priority. And I'm curious, like, uh, about your thoughts on, like, is this, is there more satisfaction in this when a team wins? Like, I mean, because either way, you're sort of at the same end goal. Does it do something, mm-hmm. like, like, can it last longer? Like, is it possible to make this evergreen? And, like, does that make a franchise stronger? Like, I'm curious about your thoughts on that stuff. Yeah, I think, like, I think it was... First, I think it's difficult to make it evergreen because I think the thing about chemistry and what makes the Raptors so unique mm-hmm. is it's such a difficult thing to pin down. Like, there is really yeah. no formula for it. Um, what the Raptors have seemed to lucked out on again and again is finding players who are either like seem like they would be good fits just in terms of like personality or work ethic um just kind of or like any other extra thing that we know 
of the team that will like fit into that roster or if they maybe are like short one of those things that the team now has this like ingrained chemistry almost like it's culture i i think mm-hmm. um that new players quickly pick it up uh and it, what i think like it was very i was actually most interested this year um just given like the acquisitions the raptors got in the offseason and with Kawhi leaving and like not that i thought it would be a collapse in chemistry and like with lowry's like one year contract and things like that like we all kind of knew that they were sort of looking to the future and mm-hmm. whether that was a rebuild this coming summer, whether they were just going to like play out this season and see what happened. Um, but right away, like the, all those new guys, like Rondé Hollis Jefferson, I mean, yeah, I'd say like Rondé was actually the one that I was kind of curious if he would sort of buy into it because mm-hmm. I think, you know, coming from teams where he didn't, he wasn't really the focal point. Like he didn't necessarily get, that much like time to contribute on the court or even like off the court to the team's like dynamic him, like sort of stepping into it. He really, he just really seemed to soak it up, you know? And like that, some, a player I thought that would happen with, uh, was Stanley Johnson, but it didn't, which I don't Hmm. know. Like that was kind of the, that almost seemed like an anomaly because it was the first time I think a player didn't really like readily step into this sort of like chemistry broth or whatever that the Raptors have like cooked up all these years. I mean, I don't know if it's a better thing to focus on. Like, I don't know if it if it promises more wins or anything like that. And I know there are still some people who are purists, like, in terms of just, like, what they care about from a win. It's like they just want the win. It, it doesn't really matter to them, like, how well the team is performing off the court. I mean, to me, it yeah. makes, like, a more involved win. It's, like, a more interesting team to watch. Um, and I think for the Raptors, like, the chemistry dynasty was something, like, that I've always thought about because when you trace back like all through the years, like pretty much since Masai took over, he's made these sort of steps first, like overhaul steps and then gradual, just like fine tuning with that in mind always. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, for the Raptors, it led to a title, but it also led to a title because they acquired, they did get a big get, like you can't dismiss like getting Kawhi. Right. Like, but I think to be said to that, like he, it wasn't that he got here, and then the Raptors kind of like change their their entire approach and like change their entire dynamic and like so just supported Kawhi exclusively. Like yeah. he he fit, mm-hmm. you know, like he kind of melded into the system that like Toronto plays with. Yeah. And I think he was very aware of it. And like, you know, we saw like certain certain like times where he would kind of break out of a shell a little bit in Toronto. I think he like it was like a real period of growth for him. He'd just come also like from a team where, you know, his, his like physical health was like a huge concern for him and mm-hmm. like the mismanagement, like like potential mismanagement of that, if that is true, you know, like he was probably feeling like pretty skeptical, like pretty distrustful, like probably looked at that, like at being in Toronto is kind of like a coastal, like a coast year until he could almost like carry on with his career in a meaningful way. But instead, you know, he got a team that right, right away, like, supported him and his concerns, you know, worked extremely hard to build trust, like not just through the management, like, but through all the players. And I think he ended up like thriving in it as much as Toronto thrived from physically having him on the team. So I don't know, like chemistry is tricky. Like as much as I love to write about it. And I think like what I say is like, it's what makes teams magic to watch. Mm -hmm. It's still something you can't really pin down. But I think in the league now, 
the focus for a long time has been on building teams based on skill, like just like picking players as like disparate pieces that will give you one skill that you're missing. And it doesn't work like that because like they're people. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like, when I think about like chemistry and how it impacts winning, I immediately go to like, it always seems like the teams that people label overachievers tend to be teams with really good chemistry because those are the teams where people look at the parts and and the whole and they don't they don't see what the potential is of the whole mm-hmm. if that whole has good chemistry like notoriously like the team we're talking about like the raptors like how many people projected the raptors to you know not be that good of a team this season or even not make the playoffs which is always crazy cuz most of these guys are coming back from a team that won a title but i mean even the new guys, like you're mentioning, that, that join the team or are getting big, larger opportunities, like Chris Boucher, like they're really, they're really, uh, you know, it's because of the chemistry, I think, that and and this trust in the team, this sense of this sort of aura that they give off for each other, that I think those guys were able to break out. Like I, I think that stuff matters for for especially for those guys, for guys like Ronnie Hollis Jefferson for sure, and and Boucher and and Terrence Davis as a rookie, um, and -hmm. stuff like that. Like I I always think about people talk a lot about the Lakers game early on in November. I rewatched it recently, which is one of the breakout games for Davis and Boucher specifically. And, you know, part of, part of that game was that like some guys were out for injury, of course, uh, Lowry and, and Ibaka and those guys came in and were like, okay, like here's our chance to shine. Everybody believes in us, you know, like, the chemistry here is good. Like we feel like we're in a good situation. Like we feel we can come out and impact this game and do it for our team. And there was a story that Jordan Lloyd shared on Twitter, not super long about long ago, but Kyle Lowry during the title run that Kyle, you know, essentially cared so much about the entire team uh, winning the title that, you know, he came up to Lloyd who wasn't playing at all. wasn't even in the rotation and famously was the guy in the suit in the Kawhi shot. Um, and, you know, was basically like, look, you've got to focus in here because this is about all of us and not just the guys that are playing right now. And so, yeah, I think all that stuff matters, especially for those types of teams. And I think it's kind of more rare for like teams that are really good, like last year's Raptors were, than maybe like scrappy sort of new young up and comer teams like the Memphis Grizzlies, for example, this season. Like that team really seemed to bond together. Yeah, so I, I think that I think that's like a real thing. And. I did also just want to quickly point out, <laughs> uh, I think my favorite line in this piece was about Chris Boucher, and <laughs> when you were mentioning, like, kind of writing about all these guys that are that are like how they're that are new or were uh, up and coming and sort of fit into the roster, you had a line about Boucher quickly at the end of one of the paragraphs, and it reads, Chris Boucher vaulted to the rim like a shadow shot out of his own intent. Long and menacing, haunting the dreams of everyone he dunked on. That is an incredible line. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he does. Like, Boucher, watching Boucher, like, I know um, KD has the nickname the Slim Reaper. I know he doesn't yeah. like it. Mm. So I feel like we could maybe take it uh, and attribute <laughs> it to Boucher because, yeah. like, there is a kind of menace and, like, fearlessness, not just in Boucher, but in. You know, like a lot of like the younger guys, especially Terrence Davis, like that Lakers game. I think what doesn't get talked about enough is like the Lakers have pretty much had a straight win streak, like through from season start to like 
almost December, and the only team to beat them were the Raptors mm-hmm. in a game where, like, most of the roster, as it has been all season, was injured. Yep. And, like, you just saw, like, the fearlessness of those guys. Um, and I think something that isn't really talked about enough, maybe because, you know, maybe chemistry, I think chemistry is just tough because, like, you can't, for a lot of people, they can't prove it, right? It's not like you can hold it up against, like, certain stats and just say, like, you know, these prove this. It's like, it doesn't. It's like more of a gut thing and, like, really nuances of a team, like really watching a team closely mm-hmm. to see how they interact, like, on and off the floor. But I think a big thing in that is always trust, right? Like, there's a reason why young players and players who are kind of overlooked on other rosters come to the – or, like, undrafted, like Terrence Davis – uh, come to the Raptors and thrive. Like, it, first of all, it's like because they get more time on the floor, so that like builds up their confidence. Like that to me has always seemed like an extreme no-brainer. But also like the trust in that. Like it's not like there is still like you've got to work hard to get these minutes. Mm-hmm. But once you get them and you've shown that you understand the work that goes into that, there's like the trust that comes along with that is the same as it would be for like Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, Fred VanVleet, right? Like the core of the team. Um, like nobody is really treated differently in that sense. So it's not like, oh, you know, we don't trust these guys to like pull it off, you know, in moments of intense pressure or, or like when the game's like, you know, on the line or like when they're the, the last ones to like make, they, they need to make a shot. Like, oh, we'd rather not get it to them. It's just always like, yeah, let's, let's give that guy a chance. And like more often than not, like they show up for that chance. So I think that's something that like, and that just like inherently, I think trust builds trust and like trust builds like very good feelings and trust builds chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think you sort of, and you, you end off on the, this piece as well, perfectly. And of course, talking about Kyle Lowry, who is the primary source of chemistry on the Raptors and has been for the golden era the entire time. And I think like what you're saying about like those guys feeling empowered to be able to take those big shots and, and take over games and step up when they need to. A lot of it is just because of, the way Lowry plays as well, like his style of game and every, everybody's talked about this a ton, but like his style of game is, it's not flashy. It's not like, look at me. It's not any of that stuff. It's, it's always team oriented. It's always about what can I do in this specific situation right here to, you know, to win this possession or whatever. And then I'll look at winning the next one. And that's sort of how he is. And like, no matter what it is that he thinks is the best way to do it, he's going to do it. Even if it doesn't include himself. And a lot of the time, um, it doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, the ball doesn't end up being in his hands at the very end of a shot clock and he's not always the one taking the shot. Um, but he always is sort of that focal point of how the ball gets to wherever it gets to. And, and it seems to impact the team that way, both like on the floor and off of it as well. So it's like, um, I, I think like sort of ending off just mentioning like how Lowry is still the most important point here is like... You know, it's a good thing. And, and like, also the impact of uh, winning the title, which I don't think is uh, should be understated either. It really, really, I wasn't, I was a little skeptical before the season about how much that would actually impact a team after, the, you know, the next season. Um, not because I wouldn't think that, like, those guys would be sort of, like, the idea of battle-tested and whatever, because you obviously have to be. Every experience you have sort of dictates how you uh, go through things the next time. But... It just, like, it really exudes from that team. Um, and I think maybe part of it was Kawhi leaving and how they're responding to that. But, yeah, that team really, and, and it comes from Kyle Lowry. Like, I, this is the season I think I've, I've seen him most comfortable playing on the floor, like, ever. You know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think like I talk about like that's a huge part of the piece, and like was a huge part of what what made the season so fun to watch, but then also what is such a bummer about it sort of like now resting in uncertainty uh, and like the rhythm of it being disrupted is like the ease at which the whole team was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, absolutely. They still, you know, they're still like a really gritty team. You know, they can still have their awkward moments to sort of like pull out a win, but we sort of saw that less and less. And I think the wins that they did anytime they were like down uh, anytime that, you know, there was like a deficit to make up, they, you didn't see the same kind of like panicked Raptors response. You didn't see them kind of really like rushing to catch up from like late in the third or like, you know, worse. We've even seen like late in the fourth, right? Like just, just chasing, um, and like chasing, chasing something they probably won't be able to make up like this season, even if they were down, it never felt like a chase. Like there was a certain amount of assurance that they were just like waiting almost. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it would, it would be like a leisurely, like a leisurely response to not only catch up, but then like win. Um, and I think that for me, like that was the biggest difference in them winning the title in terms of like, you know, championship, like a championship kind of attitude or whatever coming into it. Like they were having a lot of fun Mm -hmm. and they were like really enjoying, I think like seeing all the ways they could sort of like pull off a win, especially when you looked at, you know, all like the combinations of guys that were out and like them just sort of rolling with those punches and being like, well, all right, like we got to, you know, dream up another like extremely bizarre roster, like to get this done. Um, and they did it like, and then they kept doing it. And I think that just sort of like built on that, that leftover confidence from winning the title to like this new confidence of like, Hey, look what we're capable of. I think Mm -hmm. there was like probably a lot of relief. I mean, I, I know players talk about it and I think there is something to be said for like the proof within what is like a very small subset of people who've like ever played in the NBA, right. Mm -hmm. Of like winning a a championship ring and like sort of what that does and like the smaller club that it even puts you into. So yeah, I think, I think for me, like Larry is kind of the epitome of that because he worked, he's worked so hard and he's worked the longest and he's, you know, been like the through line um, from like when, I'm kind of look back to like this this chemistry dynasty starting to now Larry's also like, you know, back to what you said about watching him play. He, he can seem deceptively like a simple player to watch, but there's a reason why Larry's like my most favorite subject to write about. And a player I'll like come back to again and again is because you can kind of like break down just one. You could just spend like, you know, 2000, 5,000 words, just like breaking down almost like one single aspect of his game. Mm -hmm. And then he will adapt or like learn something new and adjust himself. Um, And he he doesn't just do that through gameplay. Like he's done that through his leadership, through his like role with the team, like the maturity that he's kind of shown and like growing up with the team and like now being like the sole leader of the team. Like this was the first year he didn't, he didn't really have like, first I think it was like, you know, DeMar DeMar DeRozan was his like, co-pilot for the longest time and they really played off each other and then he sort of handed the reins over to Kawhi in a really like gracious way we had not really seen yet from him you know being like comfortable with being like second second to Kawhi basically Mm -hmm. um 
but still understanding like the inner workings of like the whole team that he'd built basically. And then this year, like he, he's on his own. He's the one leader, but he's also doing what he can whenever he can, I think to boost up like all the, all like all the guys that are basically going to be like the next generation, you know, and are already the, the players that the team is, is looking to build up around. So like his, his growth is just like not something one I think you see in an NBA career, which can unfortunately be a lot shorter, right? Like he sort of had this continuity, I think just by virtue of like being with one team for so long, that's, that's invested in him and like seen that in him. Um, and then also just like his unselfishness, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and the way he like, he's grown or the way he sort of spreads that around. And just like, he, he is like, I don't know if it's either like he's the identity of the team or the team is sort of like taken on his identity, but the two are so enmeshed that it would be very hard to really say, you know, like which came first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was one of the big building blocks of what the current Raptors culture is, you know, and all there's the other ones as well, like Masai and uh, Dwayne Casey and DeMar DeRozan. Um, Everybody worked together to, to cultivate this culture, but he's sort of like, Aside from uh, Masai, he's the last guy, sort of, um, especially more, he's more visual because you see him all the time. He's the guy out there now holding the torch, you know, the last one, uh, sort of, of like, this is what we've built here. And, you know, I'm one of the building blocks that did it. And it's, it's kind of cool to see. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so the other half of this podcast, uh, I always sort of uh, want to talk about the actual writing itself and sort of the process. Um, like I mentioned up okay. top, um, and, uh, yeah, this is one of my favorite things. And this is, so this kind of stuff too, I, I wanted to talk to you about a lot, um, in the past, because as I mentioned up top, you're one of my favorite writers to read in the basketball sphere. And there's a bunch of reasons why, but so when I read your writing, no matter really what it is in a piece like this or, or something like basketball feelings, which, uh, I read every week, your writing is dreamy, but sturdy and accessible, but surprising, um, there's like lengthier sentences often, um, which is, you know, very like anti-journalism school. Um, but there's, <laughs> there's, there's this rhythmic flow to it that obviously makes it work. Um, you can tell there's a lot of pondering and natural craftsmanship that goes on. It doesn't seem like writing about basketball feels like a surgical process for you. And like you meet, you read a lot of writers and like their writing is extremely grounded, like, uh, you know, the thing is the thing and beyond what physically is, they don't travel there very much, but you travel there all the time. Um, like basketball is greater than itself. That's something that I think is true. And you're really, really good at showcasing it in your writing. And I'm curious if this is sort of conscious effort to write about basketball this way. I mean, I think for me, like I didn't start writing about basketball. Like I've always written predominantly for myself. And then when I started writing for other publications, um, it was always kind of like long form, I guess, like more, I guess, thoughtful. Like, I guess I always thought of it as meandering, but dreamy is a nicer way to to put it. Absolutely. Um, but it, it, I I think it's just like introspective writing. I think the way I write is kind of like Mm -hmm. how, I probably have conversations and have conversations with other people and in my own head. Um, I'm pretty, I'm like an incredibly analytical person. So I think writing helps to like weigh everything out, but I just, you know, I'll just sort of be doing it in real time as I write. Mm -hmm. When I started to write about basketball, it was through 
uh, like fan fiction for the website that's now defunct that was started by David Roth called The Classical, which huh. was kind of like, a, I guess, like an early deadspin, you could call it. Um, but I wrote NBA fan fiction, which were just like very bizarre stories um, that eventually became like just like a Halloween yearly feature. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just had a lot of fun with it. Like that, it was just something that I thought really interesting because I've always watched basketball, but the way I kind of, you know, followed it was more along personal storylines and like the, the culture of the league and like sort of what made people do the things they were doing. And, and that then extended, I think, to gameplay mm-hmm. uh, and getting to the bottom of it. Like I've definitely like evolved to look at things like statistical and like analytical writing and see how they can like lend to writing, but it's still not really where I come from. So when I did start to write, I mean, I also have to be honest, like I think, you know, approaching writing quote unquote serious, like sports writing <laughs> yeah. as a woman, like approaching that field, you know, there weren't a lot of people doing like other women doing it. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, it, it just, and if they did, like the, the assumption was always like, you got to be kind of twice as good, good. And like, check over everything. Like, you know, twice, twice as many times as probably just like male sports writers who are just like, this is what I think about this. And like, when I actually started to realize like a lot, not all, but like a lot of sports writing, sports talk, sports radio, it's just, it's opinion based. Like it's just people yeah. that are like, this is what I feel about this. And maybe I've picked, I've picked up these facts and like glean this opinion from like, you know, it's a composite of like 10 other things I've heard or like 10 other things I've read when you realize that it's not, you know, these are people who are like the BL end all. They just have like very loud voices Mm -hmm. and they, (laughs) they don't usually get disparaged for using them. So I think I was quite nervous. I mean, the first thing I ever wrote (laughs) was for Raptors Republic. And Mm -hmm. I remember like cold emailing Blake, uh, and he was like, yeah, sure. Like you, like, you know, send over something. And I think even that was more of like a, a cultural piece, you know, just about like the inner workings of the Raptors at the time. But I was so nervous. I think I had like two statistical, like I had like two numbers in it. And I remember just like checking them over and over, like, oh, is, did I get the right one? Is this like in the correct context? And I mean, at the end of the day, it didn't matter. I mean, also like, I think what you learn, the more you're sort of in the sports writing realm is like sports are so personal to everyone that like you could write, you could have the most, like you could have a piece that kind of like touches on all sides and like tries to encapsulate everything and people will still disagree with it. So I think once you get free of that and just sort of like use your voice and like play to its strong suits and whether that's like finding stories that do, and also like challenging yourself. Like I think for me, the most fun and interesting thing in my sports writing career has been, finding stories I wouldn't necessarily be like kind of drawn to that maybe don't seem like they have a natural hook and then really like digging into them and like figuring out like what's underneath. And like that I think has led to some of the most like challenging writing, but I think for me like the most rewarding writing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But I think I've went way off your question, but (laughs) (laughs) I think like, writing about, did I, oh yeah, did I want to write about basketball in that way? Was it conscious? Um, I guess it's when I realized like I was having the most fun writing in that way and writing about basketball in that way is very, 
it's just, it just flows. Like, it's just, Mm -hmm. I kind of hit a point and like when I'm free to kind of ramble around in a subject and especially like I found with like gameplay can be so fun to write about that way because, you know, so much of sports writing is just like the same descriptions of moves or like plays and what people are doing. And like bodies don't really work like that. And I find sometimes the best way to describe what you're seeing is to think of how it would feel if you were doing it and like think of all the ways that like, it's hard to describe feelings. So if you can like extrapolate it and like really make it just like choose a weird sort of like example that doesn't really seem to make sense, but just sort of juxtapose it. It can be sometimes the best way to like get a really like visceral sense, I guess, of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, so it's interesting. So this, this is something that I've thought about a lot um, since sort of getting into the, closer and closer to the industry, in the industry, on the outside, looking in, all that kind of stuff. But um, And when I was in school as well, um, the, this idea that of a writer versus a sports writer, because I tend to look at sports writers now, especially from the experience that I've had so far in the industry, a lot of sports writers, not everybody, because it's changing more and more um, as time goes on. But a lot of the traditional sports writers seem to be people who uh, got into writing because of their love of sports, which is, you know, perfectly fine. And um, there's a lot of people who are really good at writing because of that and whatever. And then there's just writers who I feel like uh, are people who are sort of always into writing and they write That's just because that's who they are, um, sort of like an inherent thing versus an acquired thing. Um, and then they end up writing about sports, even though um, that's not necessarily the reason that they're doing so. Is this like is this something you've noticed when it comes to sports content? Like, is there, is there a palpable line? Like, can you sort of tell um, when you're reading other people? And like, obviously I, I feel like you would put your, you put yourself in the, in the writer category. Like that's something I notice when I read people like you and I, that's the content that I seem to find the most interesting is the people who inherently seem to be writers more than just sports writers. Yeah. I mean, I think the writing I've always gravitated to, in, in sports writing, like basketball writing particularly, is through more narrative-based, like, storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I think, and I think, yeah, that like, that. I don't know what I would call, like, the distinction between, like, a writer and a sports writer. I think it yeah. is, like, um, to its benefit, getting a little bit more blurred, uh-huh. um, as uh-huh. I think, you know, the rigidity of, like, what passes as sports writing. You know, there are still some people who, like, that's just how they want to consume um, news about sports. And yeah. I look, I guess I think of that still as more like maybe newspaper based. Like I grew up like reading, like I could read the sports section in the Toronto star or whatever. Um, but those stories were like, not really, there might've been like a, a one opinion column, but for the most part, it's just like um, an overview of the game and like highlights. And yeah. you could, you could, you could glean a lot of like the outcome of the game, but not really like the nuance of the game and you know, what happened, what made it exciting, what made it terrible to watch. Like, you know, all of those kinds of things. Like what was the atmosphere in the arena? Like that I like because it's just more storytelling. And I think in sports, like where sports writing falls short is where you like, you don't put as much prominence or importance on those other, like harder to pin down elements, maybe because they are a little bit harder to pin down. Um, I think a lot of sports journalism, you know, and journalism, like the core of journalism is like, you know, you kind of cut through, cut through all that and like present the facts. Right. Uh And there is also like, sometimes you do want to just read what happened explicitly 
But I think when you want to sit down and actually consume something, at least for me, and like spend a lot of time with something, there's got to be a lot more going on. Um, So, yeah, I think like I'll always gravitate more towards writing, writing in that sense, if that's how we're defining it. But I think Mm -hmm. honestly is more nuanced voices. I think like a lot of like it's a lot more women as a lot more like people of color and mm-hmm. like marginalized voices are kind of added into sports writing, especially and like this sort of like, there's still a boys club. Um, and it's still a little bit hierarchical for sure. There's definitely like helpful people, but as that sort of get to, gets dismantled and more people come into it, it's become a more interesting, um, and like viable and kind of like exciting space to be in as yeah. a writer. Um, so, I mean, I've enjoyed that and, and, and have enjoyed seeing that happening. And I guess being a part of it, you know, as well has been pretty cool. I think it, I think also just like I started writing, I mean, I started Basketball Feelings because that was writing I didn't find anywhere else, but it's how mm-hmm. I wanted to write and what I wanted to read about basketball. You know, and at first I was like, oh, maybe, you know, it'd be nice if a couple people are into this. But the response has been, you know, it's like it grows every week. Mm-hmm. And like people really seem to like connect with it. People that like basketball, but people who also don't and have said like, you know, they got into basketball because of it. And like, that's crazy to me. Like that's so, I mean, it's really flattering, but it's like not something I set out to do, but it also shows that like there's been this audience, you know, desirous of that, that kind of writing here all along. Yeah. It's just, they probably didn't see or feel there was like a place for them, you know, you know in the sport where they fit. Yeah, there's it, it's uh, it's one of those things like, you know, people and I, I guess myself included sometimes never sure about writing something um, if it seems a little outside the box or or just because maybe they feel like their voice doesn't conform to the traditional idea of what's out there already and that's always a mistake, right? Like, yeah, the, the thing with writing is like, you know, if you write something that is important to you. Um, more than anybody else, which is why I always think that you should write for yourself and, and not an audience. It's just that, like, there will be other people that feel the same way you do or are interested in the same things that you are and will consume and, and be affected by your content. I think I think uh, that's really, like, an important thing for, for people to, to understand and to really, um, you know, to just allow themselves to feel okay with putting out whatever they need to put out. Because um, I think that's a difficult thing, especially in in sports where everything is pretty streamlined. It is, it is changing, like you said, but like still largely, you know, coming up into it, I feel like people think, you know, I've got to write this way because this is how all the really mm-hmm. famous people are doing it. Yeah. And I still think there is like, I mean, you still, you see the upper echelon of like this kind of writing, whether it's in, you know, ESPN, um, you know, like the big, the, the big people writing about it, like Zach Lowe will occasionally like, go off on like a pretty storytelling tangent and I like enjoy his writing more when he does. But, you know, a lot of those writers, I also wonder if they're kind of constrained by the medium in which they find themselves like Mm -hmm. now at the top of. Um, and you know, I have, I have friends who like work for pretty big news outlets covering sports. And like a lot of them feel have told me they like feel a strange pressure. Not that anyone has even like they were hired in some cases because of maybe that their voice was a little bit different and what they were covering and writing about was through like a different lens. But once they got there, 
there was kind of this like internalized pressure to sort of conform to what, what else they saw when like, that's not even the reason they were there in the first place. So Mm. I, I mean, I, I still think there's a long way to go in that sense. And maybe that won't ever change. I mean, I hope it does. And, or maybe it will just kind of slowly meld and like shift. But, um, I think the more focus is placed on the fact that like, this is a true, is true of writers in general as it is of sports writers, but it can sometimes feel like it's such a small universe and like there isn't room. And I think people can get kind of territorial and like cagey, but when you realize that like, you know, even if you, someone sort of sounds similar to you or you're writing about the same subject, you're going to come away from it with like two very different pieces. Uh, and like, there's room for all of it, especially now because so much of writing exists online. Right. So like people want to read one thing and then just carry on to the next, like people want to consume this kind of stuff. If they love something, they want to read as much as they can, you know, they might get to a little slower, but like they'll eventually get to it. So I think in realizing that there's room, hopefully might kind of like (laughs) dissuade that like pyramid of like how things seem to get narrower and narrower, like the more successful, um, you get, or like the more notoriety you get, I guess, depending on what your version of success looks like. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I think that's true for sure. Something that needs to be continued to be worked on in the industry at large for sure and thought about and talked about. So I think that's important and I'm glad we talked about it here. We're starting to run out of time. So uh, I just want to say thank you for coming (laughs) on here, Katie. I really appreciate it. It means a lot. Uh, Is there anything you want to plug before we go here? Sure. Um, (laughs) There should be a new year none coming out today. As I mentioned, it's on LeBron James. Um, And that series will continue. I mean, it will continue up until the league starts up again, inevitably, but it might continue through depending on what happens. Um, And Basketball Feelings, which you've really graciously uh, mentioned uh, a few times, but that's my weekly newsletter. It's on Substack if people want to subscribe we're currently rolling through a basketball feelings feelings draft where I've enlisted some friends and other writers as well as myself to draft feelings as you would in an NBA draft um, mm-hmm. onto a big board. And it's been pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really good. If you haven't um, been keeping track of that, I highly recommend it. Go and subscribe to basketball feelings. Um, it's one of my favorite things to read every week. If you're looking for this podcast, uh, you'll be able to find it on anchor.fm. It is called the writer's right podcast. Uh, you can find it on the Anchor app as well, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, all those good places. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Writers Write Pod, where I post links to the episodes and to my guest articles. And until then, you can follow me at Howvolution on Twitter, and you can find my own online work at places like Raptors Republic, Sportsnet.ca. Um, and Katie, what's your Twitter again? It's WT... It's whatevs. whatevs. W-T-E-V-S. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, so you can follow Katie there too. Um, All right. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. And uh, have a good day.